I'm the Reverend Brianne Swan, and this is Sermons from the East End for World Food Sunday, October 15th, 2023. John chapter 6, verses 1 through 14, from the message. Bread and fish for all. After this, Jesus went across the Sea of Galilee. Some call it Tiberias. A huge crowd followed him, attracted by the miracles they had seen him do among the sick. When he got to the other side, he climbed a hill and sat down, surrounded by his disciples. It was nearly time for the feast of the Passover, kept annually by the Jews. When Jesus looked out and saw a large crowd had arrived, he said to Philip, Where can we buy bread to feed these people? He said this to stretch Philip's faith. He already knew what he was going to do. Philip answered, Two hundred silver pieces wouldn't be enough to buy bread for each person to get a piece. One of the disciples, it was Andrew, brother to Simon Peter, said, There's a little boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But that's a drop in the bucket for a crowd like this. Jesus said, Make the people sit down. There was a nice carpet of green grass in the place. They sat down, about 5,000 of them. Then Jesus took the bread and, having given thanks, gave it to those who were seated. He did the same with the fish. All ate as much as they wanted. When the people had eaten their fill, he said to the disciples, Gather the leftovers so nothing is wasted. They went to work and filled twelve large baskets with leftovers from the five barley loaves. The people realized that God was at work among them in what Jesus had just done. They said, this is the prophet for sure, God's prophet right here in Galilee. Jesus saw that in their enthusiasm they were about to grab him and make him king. So he slipped off and went back up the mountain to be by himself. I'm still pretty new to East End United, but one of the things you will learn about me is that I grew up on a farm. It was a small farm, about 50 acres, and for most of my time at home, it was rented out to various farmers. Soy, canola, at one time a lot of chickens. But growing up in a farming community was absolutely foundational, I think, to who I am as a person and how I first experienced church. I had grown up understanding the flow of the seasons, what planting and harvest time means in a small community. I'd gone through the coming-of-age job of picking and selling corn. I'd milked my friend's cows and watched other cows being taken to market. 
My father was a butcher, and in the mid-90s he had this great idea about starting a small, independent butcher shop. He could tell you exactly where your chuck roast had been grazing earlier. And every time I see an indie meat market in the neighborhood, I think about how he would have been about ten years ahead of his time in Toronto, and about twenty in cold water. And when I moved to Toronto when I was 18, I realized how growing up in the country provided me a different relationship, I think, to land and food than some of my peers. For example, driving through farmland en route to a youth retreat, my friends were howling at what they called the stench of manure. But that just smelled like home to me. This week was World Food Sunday, which the United Church, among many other denominations, acknowledges on the third Sunday of October every year. However, World Food Sunday was not part of the liturgical year in any other congregation I've been a part of, and so I felt the need to learn a little bit about the background for this day. The Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations created World Food Day on October 16, 1945. 1945. That's almost 80 years ago. The goal of the FAO is to, quote, free humanity from hunger and malnutrition and to effectively manage the global food system. World Food Day events are organized in over 150 countries across the world, making it one of the most celebrated days of the UN calendar. And yet, 80 years later, so many of the same factors that have resulted in food insecurity, both internationally and locally, still exist. But I know so many of you know this. I know not everybody listening to this sermon podcast is an East Ender, but I know East End United understands. East End has a long history through its amalgamated congregations of trying to address food insecurity here in Toronto and overseas. Some of you listening will have participated on the farm tour with the Danforth Grow Hope yesterday. For those who may be newer to East End, like me, and aren't quite sure what Danforth Grow Hope is, it is a partnership with the Canadian Food Grains Bank and other Danforth churches working to eradicate world famine through a growing project sponsorship with a local farmer in Stouffville. East End raises funds, which are used to cover all the costs, including seeds, fertilizer, and other inputs, the land rental, and support services of 18 acres of land for growing crops. The crop is then sold and proceeds are given to the Canadian Food Grains Bank and put to work in food assistance and food security projects multiplied up to four times with government funds in the process. 
The benefits are lived out in various countries where access to sustainable food sources is a constant challenge for millions of families. And this is such a good thing. What a good thing it is that we get to be a part of it. And then we have Nourish East End with the free food market on Wednesdays and community dinners on the fourth Monday of the month. Nourish functions from the belief that all human beings have the right to access fresh, quality, and nutritious food. Nourish strives to create an environment where our community has consistent and dignified access to food, while also acknowledging varying needs. In addition to emergency food support, they are also working to expand supports in our community in collaboration with local partners. And I am so very, very glad that Nourish exists. There would be a huge gap in this area of the city if Nourish wasn't here. I am grateful that both Danforth Grow Hope and Nourish East End are part of how East End United faithfully responds within the world, both locally and overseas. But it kills me that we need these programs in the first place. It kills me that after so, so long, we can internationally find money for weapons, but not to sustainably feed people, many of whom are hungry because of policies and practices put in place ages ago by European countries, or by climate change that is being most influenced by those across the North Atlantic. It is kills me that we are still fighting over whether a guaranteed livable income is a good idea, or knowing that as housing and rental prices skyrocket, the folks who are already accessing Nourish because all of their money is going to housing, those folks are one eviction away from having no place to live. It frightens me that as charitable givings are decreasing across the country and as organized religious institutions are declining in numbers, that the stopgaps that were put in place years ago to prop up our social safety net are finding it increasingly difficult to meet the needs of people who have been relying on these measures. I have these conversations on the sidewalk outside of Nourish on Wednesday mornings. Nourish has seen a 37% increase in the number of people accessing the free food market. Daily Bread has not been able to provide the same amount of food because they are being stretched as well. And so, is the answer for churches and other organizations to try and raise more money, more food, to try to fill the gap? Or is it time to look to our political leaders and say, we can't keep doing this at the level that is required. It is time for you to step up and do your job. Part of the issue in our capitalist society 
And I get it, this is the world we live in, but we talk about food as a commodity, not as a human right. We do this with shelter as well, but food as a commodity, not as a human right. How would the conversation change if we thought of food as a right? Five years ago, as part of a course called Community Engagement as Ministry at the Center for Christian Studies, I created a video with my kids that we called Examining Community Support Through Sandwiches, and I will post it in the show notes. The video breaks down in, albeit a very simplistic way, various approaches of engagement with communities about the acute needs they are facing. It lays out four avenues of community outreach and engagement. One, charity. You are hungry, and I give you a sandwich. I get to decide whether you get a sandwich or not. You don't get much of a choice of which sandwich. The power imbalance is still in place. Two, education. I teach you how to make a sandwich. Hopefully you have the ingredients you need to make other sandwiches, or we learn where to go and get the ingredients. But it's still a one-sided relationship. I probably won't see you after I've taught you how to make a sandwich. Three, partnership. You've learned how to make sandwiches. Maybe you've even taught other people how to make a sandwich. And now you have ideas from your own community and your own lived experience about what would make the sandwiches better or how to get the sandwiches to the people who need them most. And so we are starting to do something together. And then four, advocacy. Why the heck are there people who don't have enough sandwiches in the first place? Together, informed by and in partnership with the communities affected, we advocate for a system where people have the sandwiches they need. We have heard the story of the feeding of the 5,000 from the Gospel of John for a second week in a row. It is not an accident, I promise. Last week, the feeding of the 5,000 came to mind for me as we were talking about the food that kept coming after an initial ask for assistance from the neighborhood as we housed 100 asylum seekers in our gym. We started with one yes, and then the yeses kept coming. But also with this story, I hear a situation that seems... Impossible. Absolutely impossible. How can five barley loaves and two fish feed 5,000 people? How can 18 acres of land make any difference to global hunger? How can opening our doors once a week do anything to affect the food insecurity in this city? But I also wonder... 
And this may be a bit of a tangent here, but I wonder how the boy, that small boy offering Jesus his lunch, I wonder how he was changed when he experienced the power of the one who was both with us and for us. How are we changed when we say yes to any of the ways we explored on the spectrum between charity, education, partnership, and advocacy? Any of the outreach and, dare I say, worship we might experience at East End or wherever your faith community is? Are we changed? Is it for the better, for the precarious? How does it feel? Who does it feel like we are saying yes to? I hope the community I serve can keep saying yes. I hope we can do it in various plots upon the sandwich graph. But I also hope there is a day when we find ourselves in a world where the yes is saying something different, that we as a collective are so changed that the idea of anybody being hungry in a world of such abundance is unfathomable, that we are changed by saying yes, And that is a part of everybody around us saying yes as well. And I pray that this yes is healing, that this yes balances power structures, that this yes is holy and part of creating a community that isn't one-sided in how we think about helping and where we count on one another in authentic and true ways. That is, I hope this is a yes that comes from God. Amen.
That was Let Us Break Bread Together by Freebird. You can find links to Freebird's music by going to our show notes. East End United Regional Ministry is a queer-affirming community of faith of the United Church of Canada in Toronto. To learn more about our worship services and our many outreach programs, please visit us online at www.eastendunited.ca.